Hi, this is Ben Lola, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today we're continuing our series, The Progress of the Gospel, focusing on the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 7 to 16, with a message entitled, God's Amazing Marketing Plan. Let's join Dr. Neufeld now. We're going to be discussing Romans 11, 7 to 16, and consider the remarkable ways in which God is advancing the gospel of Jesus. I call this address God's amazing marketing plan. You know, I recently read an ad for a marketing company that went like this. Marketing is the lifeblood of any small company. The initial success of your company or its growth will depend upon whether you can attract enough customers. So for many of us, marketing has just a little to do with deception, trying to package something that you're going to sell in an acceptable format so that people will buy. And so for instance, it has been said that what makes products successful is not necessarily their quality, but rather the image they portray. So while marketing has something to do with deception or fantasy and equating two unrelated themes, the product and your desires, like a new car and happiness, or like blue jeans and sex appeal. If you could relate those two themes, well, you're going to buy. That's marketing. Image is often greater than substance, and fantasy rules over reality and desire over against need. You know, I tried to be cute in today's title, God's Amazing Marketing Plan, and, and that does sound crass. But I was trying to make a point. God has a message for the world, a message of reconciliation with our Creator, and God wants people to hear and be saved. But to say that God wants to market this message does sound crass, and that is what I intended. For God has rejected what would seem like wisdom to us and has chosen what seems like the most foolish way of marketing salvation. He chose the people of Israel and called them to bless the world or to be the conduit of blessing to the whole world. And along the way, it looks that way anyway. All the wheels fell off. Israel became what Ezekiel the prophet would call that rebellious house. In fact, read the Old Testament. It's not the history of Israel blessing the whole world, but rather the history of Israel rebelling against their God. And finally, when God sent his son into the world, Israel rejected him and joined the Romans in crucifying him, crying out, his blood be upon us and our children. And then they went their own way. And for some of us, when we read the New Testament, it seems that God finally abandoned his original failed marketing plan and then initiated a new approach by working with a church primarily made of Gentiles. And at least that approach seems to be working a little better, although there have been some problems along the way. But that's wrong. In fact, God has never had to readjust his plan. See, today I want to introduce you to a part of the great mystery of God. In fact, God's way of reaching the world is truly astonishing. No deception, no slick images, no marketing surveys for audience acceptance, something different, something, well, it's surprising. We begin with Romans 11, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to attain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, from the very outset, it's easy to see in these verses that God is the one who is in control from the very beginning. We've been studying Romans 9 to 11, which I've entitled, The Progress of the Gospel. And we've learned that God has absolute rights over the hearts and over the eternal destinies of every man or woman. God has entered into his voting booth and elected his followers as he wanted them. God hardened Esau and elected Jacob. 
God hardened Pharaoh and elected Israel. Romans 8.18 says he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Let me say it again. God has absolute rights over his creation. And in bringing the good news of his willingness to forgive and reconcile himself to a lost and ruined humanity, God has done the strangest things. He has hardened the majority of Israel, and he has retained a remnant among them. And after 2,000 years of history, from Abraham to Christ, they were still a rebellious house. So why is that? They thought that right standing with God was about human effort, about rigorous law-keeping, which amounted to no more than the pride in their own abilities. They simply couldn't grasp the idea of grace. Salvation is a free gift from a merciful God to overwhelmingly sinful human beings. They failed to get it, and so they became spiritually unresponsive. So let's read Romans 11, verse 8. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Now, that word stupor literally means spiritual insensitivity. Let me explain. There are all sorts of people. When we talk about grace and about forgiveness and about the love of God, about an awareness of our overwhelming sinfulness, of God being rich in mercy. When we talk about God's infinite glory and all of his marvelous attributes, well, their eyes just cloud over. They just don't get it. They can't see the value of these things. It's like touching a dead piece of skin. There is no sensitivity at all. Paul says that's what happened to Israel. God made them completely insensitive to the value of Jesus among them. Now to verses 9 and 10. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. You know, verse 9 is a quote from Psalm 69. It's a psalm of King David in which he states that more than the number of the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. And Paul is saying that's how Israel felt about their Savior. They hated him without cause. And in consequence, God will pour out his judgment on them. And that's what's being applied to Israel. The table spoken of here is the table of Israel's fellowship with God revealed in the First Testament. And that very table of relationship with their God has become their trap or the very word by which God would condemn them. Now, we could read the end of Romans 11, verse 10, and conclude this is the sorry end of the account of the First Testament. A rebellious house, as Ezekiel called them, now is under judgment. From front to back, it's the story of Israel's failure. And that's how some feel. In the history of the church, some called Israel Christ killers, persecuted them, claimed this was part of the judgment of God that had been reserved for them. God had offered them grace, and they crucified his grace on a cross. May their eyes be blackened. How sad that these words have led to hatred, but someone might say, well, what else would those words lead to? And let me get you back to the title of my address, God's Amazing Marketing Plan. What you say, this is a part of God's marketing plan? Well, yes, it is. How can that be? Well, this is about failure and defeat and punishment But it doesn't sound like it's marketing good news. But when God wanted to bring his good news of reconciliation and forgiveness and life to the world, this is how he went about it. And as curious and as inexplicable as it might be, this was his plan from the beginning. So let's read verse 11. 
So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. You see those words, by no means? You know, up till now, in the book of Romans, Paul has used that phrase four other times. So, for instance, in Romans 6, verse 2, are we to keep on sinning that grace might abound? And he answers, by no means. You know, they're the same two Greek words, meganoita. It's the strongest way in the Greek language of saying no. It's like saying, no way, not ever, not a chance in the world, never going to happen, not negotiable. The answer is no, no, a thousand times no. Israel did not fall in order that you or me in the Gentile church or anyone else could stand over them and cluck our tongues at them and condemn them. The church of Jesus Christ, while recognizing Israel's sin, is never in a place to condemn Israel. We're forbidden from doing that. We're told that anyone who touches them touches the apple of God's eye. And from that, I think we can come to at least two conclusions. Number one, we must, on the one hand, not look at Israel as if they can do no wrong with rose-colored glasses and support everything that Israel does. If we've read the First Testament, we should know that's not how Israel is presented. And second, we cannot condemn Israel, in fact, as Paul has called us to, the beginning of chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10, and in the beginning of chapter 11, to love Israel. But now he invites us into a mystery. I, for the lack of better terminology, say he invites us to see this strange story of Israel as the mystery of God's amazing marketing plan to bring good news to the world. What God did in hardening Israel has led to the salvation of untold Gentiles. You know, we need to examine the rest of the passage to see the surprising way in which that's so. We'll continue more with Dr. Newfeld in just a moment. You know, there's never been a more popular ministry resource over the years than our annual Bible reading calendar, and this year will be no exception. So our 2017 Bible scripture reading calendar entitled Defining Moments of Faith is now available. With a theme based on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the calendar depicts and describes many of the most picturesque and relevant locations and introduces some of the most influential people of the period. But the calendar's primary goal remains the same, to guide you through reading the Bible in a year using Dr. Neufeld's unique reading plan. So ask for your copy today, one free per household, by calling us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Quantities are limited, so don't delay. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. We have seen that in Romans 11, Paul makes a statement that might startle us. Israel's rebellion has provided for the salvation of untold numbers of Gentiles. But how is that so? How did that happen? Let me try to explain the process. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. He was crucified 2,000 years ago in the center of the world, that is, in Jerusalem. Shortly after his crucifixion and resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell upon 120 Jewish followers of Jesus, and they began to preach the gospel, and on the first day of the life of the church, 3,000 Jewish people repented of their sins and surrendered their lives to Jesus as their Messiah and Savior. 
But as the church in Jerusalem began to grow to more than 5,000 and then beyond, it would have seemed like the message of Jesus was going to find its way deeply into the heart of Israel. But the Jewish religious leaders began to persecute the church, and eventually that led to arrests and then to the murder of a Jewish Christian leader. The persecution of the church forced the new Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem. But that's not the end of the story. There were, of course, Jewish communities all over the ancient world, and they too needed to hear the good news. And this is where the plot thickens. According to Acts 13, the first missionaries were two Jewish men named Paul and Barnabas. They traveled to a place called Antioch in Pisidia, where they preached in a local Jewish synagogue with such persuasiveness that what they had to say made the rounds throughout the entire city. And then this is what the scripture says next, Acts 13, to 46. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews, and that refers to the Jewish religious leaders, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, please notice, Paul and Barnabas did not turn to the Gentiles until after the Jewish religious leaders rejected the message of eternal life through Jesus. That same pattern gets repeated over and over again in each city in which they established a church. Now, let me pull this together. If the Jewish community as a whole would have welcomed the message of Jesus, and if the religious leaders would have repented, asked for forgiveness, surrendered to Christ, the Christian movement would have been an entirely Jewish phenomenon. It would have stayed in Jerusalem at its headquarters and would have been the religion of the Jewish synagogues around the world, and it would never have broken out of the bounds of the Jewish community. But because of the Jewish hostile reaction to Jesus, the message of the gospel was forced, literally forced into the Gentile world. The apostles were thrown out of their community into the community of nations, and God had planned it that way. So, since that's true, let me get personal. If you're a Gentile and you love Jesus as the fulfillment of the hope of Israel, hear me. If the Jewish people would not have rejected Christ, you would never have had an opportunity to hear of Christ. Israel's rebellion meant your salvation. Consider it. But we're still not done. Paul goes on to say that Gentile salvation at some time in the future will make Israel jealous. Now, we already saw the reaction of the Jewish community to the wild success of Paul's ministry. Jealousy. And by the way, this is a natural human reaction. Many of us are jealous over something. You know, one young woman might be jealous over the beauty of another woman. Student might be jealous over the job opportunities offered to someone else who may have graduated with similar marks, but they get all the breaks. Some of you might be jealous over someone's wealth, so you just begin to hate people with money. This was the case in the early church. The fact is that while Jewish evangelists had proclaimed Moses to the world, they had precious few converts. But in no time at all, Christian churches were spreading around the world, and today 
Whereas there are pockets of faithful Judaism throughout the world, the message of Jesus, by contrast, is continuing to gain millions of disciples so that today the Christian church is growing faster than the rate of world population growth. Now, I know that we think of jealousy as a bad thing, but it's not always so. Jealousy or envy is the desire to have something that someone else has, and whether that's good or evil depends on the thing you desire. You know, if you're jealous over someone's holiness, it may not be a bad thing. So it's true that some of Israel were jealous of the popularity of the gospel, and they wanted popularity, and that was a bad thing. But God stood behind it and was stirring Israel to jealousy. Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, is saying that his Gentile ministry is reaching or ricocheting back into Israel. Some Jews are hearing what God is doing by offering the Gentiles the free gift of eternal life, and this was inspiring some of them to see Christ as well. Now, it must be said that Paul's writing at a time when there had been no Inquisition, no Holocaust, and no history of Christian persecution of Jews. It needs to be sadly confessed that we now live in a day when efforts to win Jews to faith in Christ brings for them a painful memory of intolerance and hatred and violence against Jews. The Spanish Inquisition and its forced conversions is still remembered by many Jews today and after hundreds of years has closed the door and created bitterness. The New Testament never fosters such an attitude. Rather, this attitude has come about because so-called Christians, who became identified not with Jesus, but rather with the halls of secular power and politics, used their power to oppress God's chosen people. You know, in the past, Jews were sometimes forcibly converted, sometimes segregated into ghettos, and sometimes publicly humiliated and insulted for being Jews and Christ killers. I personally think that Satan, realizing that Jews were opening their hearts to their Savior, inspired his dark servants, the weeds that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13, to enter into the church and to use their power as so-called Christians to persecute Jews and to do it in the name of Christ and so shut the door of the message of Jesus among Israel. As I'm aware of the situation today, as a, as a knee-jerk reaction, and this is very sad, a great many, even evangelical organizations, realizing that evangelism of Jews and persecution of Jews has often gone together in history, have now made statements that they would not seek the conversion of Israel. You know, recently on our last Back to the Bible Israel tour, I was sharing the gospel with one of our guides, and his reaction deeply touched my heart. He said, do you realize what this message has done to the Jewish people? You know, I had to acknowledge the truth. It is the truth. Evangelism in Israel today often sounds like hatred and even anti-Semitism. But even though that's true, and believers should be aware of it, we cannot but long for the salvation of Israel. We must find ways to be both respectful and loving while joining with Paul and feeling the unceasing anguish of heart until Israel comes home to her Savior. I think that as believers, we must pray for Israel. We pray that some among Israel would be jealous for the salvation offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. For as Bible-believing Christians, I think it unloving to fail to share the good news of Jesus with the very people from whom we receive this good news. Indeed, all of us who know Jesus have an undying debt to the people who are called the Jews. 
You and I have a debt to love them, to pray for them, to share with them the wonderful opportunity to embrace Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. And what we'll now find in the rest of this chapter is, is a full explanation of God's future dealings with this amazing people called the people of Israel. Since God has made eternal promises to them, and since God's promises cannot fail, we wait in expectation. But we also are called upon to marvel. Had Israel not so solidly turned from the gospel and forced the apostles into Gentile communities, the gospel would never have become a global phenomenon. As we consider how the gospel grows and how it came to us, we need for a moment to be overwhelmed with the mystery of the progress of the gospel. We need to fear God who hardened Pharaoh so that the whole world would know that he alone has authority. And we need to be overwhelmed that God hardened Israel so that we might hear. Indeed, if the sovereign will of God is considered in the salvation of men and women, we need to see that God is so using his sovereign designs so that the maximum number of men and women can be saved. John, this is a great message. Uh, Can I go back to something you said earlier, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you had mentioned that, in fact, if the Jews had not actually denied Jesus, we would have never had the opportunity for our salvation. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly what the text teaches. And that's so surprising. That's why I put it under this heading called God's Amazing Marketing Plan, because who would have ever dreamt of such a thing? But God does what we would never have thought to do, and, and that's exactly what the text says. And I think that's one of the reasons we struggle sometimes is we think we should be understanding all that God does, and that's probably not something we can imagine. Yeah, I, I want to remind you again that you know Romans 11 verse 8 says, God gave them a spirit of stupor. And that's just connects so much with Romans chapter 9, which God hardens whom he will and then he opens up whom he will, so that the maximum number might find their way to salvation. So God, in his amazing mercy, has so developed his plan of salvation so that there would be a great company of people. Outside of this, this would never have occurred. So we are called upon, I think, Ben, to, to think about the, 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 the wisdom of God in the bringing on, in of this great company of people. And this is where our faith really comes in, doesn't it? Our faith to understand that God works the way God chooses to work. Yeah, it's still his creation, and God has a right to order his creation in the way in which he decides in his wisdom is for his glory. And, uh, you know, we need to somehow, you know, kind of grasp that into our own souls and to begin to be people who think first of the glory of God and then be amazed that God, who would glorify himself, would have mercy on us. What a great God we serve. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. The New Testament Greece by land and by sea tour will be a true vacation and spiritual experience. Visiting some of the most significant and beautiful locations in Greece and the Greek islands, you'll be refreshed and inspired by both the historic and biblical relevance under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, and encouraged by special guest Phil Calloway of Laugh Again and musical guest The Weebs. So join us for 12 days 
8 by land and 4 by sea this coming April 24th to May 5th. Space is now very limited, so call us today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca.